It's time for JT the Brick. So what do we want to talk about with the Raiders? With the seventh pick, the Las Vegas Raiders select. It's a big moment for this organization since they moved to Las Vegas. The first four or five picks have to be electric. They have to be great Raider players who are starters, not developmental guys we're parking on the practice squad. We're done with that. We have no room for failure. JT the Brick. Oh, a reminder, I want to go all defense. 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 I want to go all defense because the Raiders are loaded on offense, absolutely loaded, and then their defense is vastly improved because of the draft. That's my perfect scenario. So that's what our programming is going to be like as the flagship of the Raiders over the next couple of weeks is the draft. I'd like you to come in big and come in with a purpose, and that's it. Are you with me on that? And now, just win, baby. Here's JT the Brick. Welcome back, everybody. Hour number two, Raider Nation Radio, JT in uh, Las Vegas. Appreciate everybody who streams the shows outside of Las Vegas. I can't count on Vegas for the entire show. Thank God we're everywhere on that Raiders mobile app. Uh, Tyree Wilson goes number one at number seven for the Silver and Black. He picked up the commissioner, picked him up. Okay, he's ready to roll. If everyone's wondering about his health, well, he looked pretty good to me picking up the commissioner and almost throwing him up over his shoulders there. He'll be ready to go. So the Raiders got the edge rusher, the havoc guy that they need on defense. And it's unfortunate they need it, but the Raiders do. They need defensive players who can have an impact. Tyree Wilson and Byron Young, the defensive tackle out of Alabama, who was taken in the third round. Those are two of the first three players, along with Michael Mayer, the tight end out of Notre Dame, who I don't want to make too much of the offensive line, but Michael Mayer is an offensive lineman, everybody, plus a tight end. You put him over someone to block, he'll be able to block them. And that's really important there, too, because they needed that type of player. Brad Spielberger, always good to talk to him. Fantastic analysis, salary cap analyst, all the work he does with Pro Football Focus as we recap the draft. All right, Brad, first give me a really big winner, like one that blew you away as you look at it since Thursday and you say this team killed it in the first and second round. Yes, you know, I'll go with maybe you've heard more popular ones, probably the Philadelphia Eagles, the Seattle Seahawks. I'll go with an underrated approach, in my opinion. Uh, That is the Arizona Cardinals and what they did, not just in the players they got, who I do really like. I like Paris Johnson. I think he was the top tackle in this class. I like B.J. Ojolari a lot, the edge rusher from LSU, Um, but also the process they came in with, where you trade down and get Houston's future first-round pick, which might be a top-five pick next year, um, and their future third, which could be you know a top-75 selection. So you get really good players. I like some of their later picks as well. Garrett Williams, the corner out of Syracuse, uh, is a good player coming off the injury, but also the process of understanding, look, they're going to be bad next year, and, and they know it. They're never going to say it publicly, but they clearly realize it. And so they took the long-term approach to roster construction, and I think they knocked it out of the park, this new regime. Uh, Houston, everybody's talking about. I don't know if we'll ever see it again because I never thought we'd see a team that had number two trade from 12 to three. Again, I don't know how another team could do that. That'd be like a first or second or third pick overall in the draft, and then you come in for the fourth. I just don't conceptually see that happening much, and Houston was able to pull it off, but they also had four picks total or uh, before number 70, and they got Tank Dell, the receiver out of Houston, Juice Scruggs out of Penn State with Anderson and Stroud. Do you think the Texans made a monumental leap forward, even though they gave up a lot in the future? Uh, I mean, look, I do really like the first two picks, and I also do really like Tank Dell, the, the small wide receiver out of Houston. But, but it's just, you know, the assets they had to give up to get Will Anderson after getting C.J. Stroud, it's going to be very hard for him to be worth all that they paid for him. Yes, he's the best defensive player in this class, maybe besides Jalen Carter, but 
Um, you know, I, I think uh, Will Anderson's a first-rate human being as well, and obviously that was some of the concern with Jalen Carter. Um, so, yeah, those guys are great. Tankdale is an awesome, fun player, extraordinarily productive, one of the most productive wide receivers in all of college football. I actually talked to one of his former coaches in Houston before the draft, and he said, one of the hardest-working players I've ever worked with in my entire life, a great kid, all those things. Um, just Scruggs, I, I don't know, trading up for a center that I don't even think was – kind of one of the consensus top centers. I'm not in love with the mm-hmm. pick. Uh, it, it did address a need, uh, but I don't think it was really worthwhile. So, yeah, look, they're going to be much better than they were last year, uh, but obviously that, that bar is pretty low. Brad Spielberger joins us. How about the Raiders getting Michael Mayer, the tight end, a first-round talent uh, early in the second round? How do you like that fit considering Waller's gone? They brought in O.J. Howard, Austin Hooper, quickly, and Michael Mayer can block at the line of scrimmage like having an extra outside offensive lineman. Talk about that need for the Raiders with Jimmy Garoppolo. Absolutely. I loved it. You know, pretty wild to see him come off as the third tight end. I do like Sam Laporta out of Iowa a lot as well. So, you know, not mocking Detroit's pick there, but, but Meyer, you know, I think the NFL is going to look back in a couple of years and say, you know what? We overthought this one. You know, did he test particularly great? Obviously not. That's why he was the third tight end taken. But, you know, sometimes you got to say, yeah, the combine and all that stuff matters for sure. But throw on the tape, you see a guy that can separate against coverage led Notre Dame in receiving, you know, like you said, is also a really good blocker. We had one tight end in the entire country that graded with a 90-plus receiving grade and an 80-plus blocking grade, and his name is Michael Meyer. So, yeah, I think that was a phenomenal pick for them in the early seconds. Uh, the big mistake I made in regards to evaluation was Hendon Hooker because I can't believe he went in the third round, the 68th pick, and Anthony Richardson went four. I don't think that's that big of a discrepancy between Richardson, who has a higher ceiling, I get it, and Hendon Hooker's old coming off an injury, but why did he go to Detroit at pick number 68 and the other teams that needed a quarterback didn't make Hendon Hooker more of a priority? Yeah, so, you know, you said he's four years older than Anthony Richardson, also coming off a torn ACL. I think the biggest difference between him and Anthony Richardson is this. So, yes, look, as a passer right now, Obviously, Hooker was more accurate this past year, you know, is a good thrower of the football, whereas Richardson, you know, 53% completion percentage, some of that is tied to he threw the ball downfield a ton. But the big discrepancy for me is you look at their pressure to sack rate, which is how often they're pressured, when do they take a sack? Hooker's is astronomically high in that mm. he is not good at evading pressure or throwing the ball away or taking off and scrambling. He takes a lot of bad sacks. Anthony Richardson is actually phenomenal. He was top 10 in the country this year at his pressure to sack rate. It was super, super low. He can manipulate the pocket. He can step up at the right time, move laterally to avoid rushers. And I think it's why when you hear project associated with him, again, yes, he needs to get more accurate. I think his fundamentals and his footwork on shorter throws has to get better. But he's actually great at, at seeing things, at playing in the pocket. And I think that was a big differentiator between the two. Brad Spielberger joins us, PFF. I really liked, I said it on my show last night, I really liked Cincinnati's draft. Miles Murphy, Jordan Battle from Alabama, DJ Turner, Chase Brown. I mean, overall, I thought they came out with guys who were going to be on a, you know, you're talking about a team that's gone to back-to-back AFC championship games, and they added impact players. I mean, three really good players before the 95th pick was over. What do you think of Cincinnati and how they're loading up that roster? 
absolutely knocked it out of the park. I, I cannot agree with you more. I don't really get why Miles Murphy fell. He wasn't super productive uh, his last year at Clemson, but all the physical tools and traits are there. I think he'll be an impact early down player pretty much right away. Um, take some snaps away from Chet Hendrickson to let him stay more fresh by playing a lot of those rundowns because he's strong at the point of attack. He can set the edge, and I think he will grow as a pass rusher in time. But, yeah, a steal at 28. Same thing for DJ Turner. You know, ran a 4-2-6-40 and all that. Good recovery speed, a good athlete. I think, again, some technical things to work on with him, um, but it addresses the need with a really good player. And Jordan Bell does the same thing, right? Yeah, they obviously do bring in some safety. Sign Nick Scott, the free agent, who's a good player, but they had to add more in the secondary even after using a first-round pick on Dax Hill last year. So, yeah, the Bengals have been a really, really good front office for about two, three off-seasons in a row now, and, and they totally continue that in this draft. I am fascinated, Brad, to know why the Seahawks took Devin Weatherspoon instead of Carter. I thought Jalen Carter was the fit for Pete Carroll to mold him, the culture that he has there, the troubled players he might have worked with in the past. And Weatherspoon, I thought, was going to go 6-7. to seven. Gonzalez, maybe right after that, to two corners. Do you think Weatherspoon went too early, and that's when Jalen Carter really started to drop to the Eagles? Yeah, so, you know, look, it does seem like a handful of teams had Carter off their board for non-football reasons. I think you ask, you know, 10 people in every team in the NFL – say who was the number one football player if you ignore off-field in this draft class, I think 90% would tell you Jalen Carter. Um, but obviously some teams are just not comfortable with, with you know the, the situation down in Georgia. So, you know, I get it. I, I love them adding a corner. Uh, it's interesting. Like, Witherspoon does not really line up with a lot of their historically, their measurable uh, thresholds and things like that. They like longer, taller players. But, you know, he plays like he's 6'2", 200. So I guess he makes up for it. I think he's an awesome player super physical, wants to come down in the run and knock your head off as much as possible. Sticky in coverage, great as a man coverage player, but I think also will fit in kind of their cover three system, sometimes playing up in press, sometimes playing off. So I get it. I hear you. Um, but, he, yeah, he, he would have been going at six, if not at five. Uh, and I think Seattle just said, hey, you know what? Let's just take the best corner in this class right now and address some other positions later. All right, as we wrap this up, I'm just – I can't believe what Miami, what's going on with Miami. I know they didn't have picks. And the, the needs I didn't understand. This is a team that would look like they were ascending here. The Tua concussion story's big. We know that. He'll come back. Uh, they're paying the fine for the Brian Flores lawsuit and all that. But if you're a Dolphin fan today or a Dolphin fan listening, what are you thinking of? They really didn't have much equity to do in the draft. They didn't really look like they upgraded the team much unless you talk about free agency and what they did in the offseason. Yeah, you know, that's the price of trading all these picks away for players. I really, really did not like the Bradley Chubb trade when they made it. Uh, I think even still now, he's not the best edge rusher on the team, uh, and you already paid him. I think Jalen Phillips is a better player, frankly, as a pass rusher and against the run, um, and they have some juice already on the defensive line. So, didn't totally get it. He's a fine player, but I just the price of the draft picks and uh, giving him that five-year, $110 million deal, I don't frankly get. But I will say, if you wanted to pick a player in the entire draft, that is a perfect fit for Mike McDaniel's offense in the backfield. His name is Devin A. Chain from Texas A&M, um, a guy that can break off 80-yard touchdowns that with McDaniel's scheme and spacing defenses out because they have to account for Jalen Waddle, have to account for Tyreek Hill. I'm telling you right now, A. Chain is going to break off. So you'll, you'll see some highlights on Sundays. Um, of him breaking off some major gains in that run game. Hey, you've been doing this long enough when the Eagles weren't 
And as a fan before that, the Eagles weren't even relevant in this league. I mean, you had to go back to Chuck Bednarik in 1960 when the Eagles actually mattered. And all of a sudden, they win a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. They go to another one with Jalen Hurts. And now Howie Roseman is getting all this success talk and pats on the back because players are actually falling to him that are players that fits his need, especially the Georgia players. Uh, Recap the Eagles and how they look going forward. Yeah, I mean, the thing with him is that even if – you look at a pick-by-pick basis, their success rate, it's around standard. But what he does best is his asset management. You can tell his background is salary cap and contracts and, you know, a financial background. And so he's, he's gaming in the system, right? It's not money ball, but it kind of is. Um, and so, I mean, just getting that extra first-round pick this year from the New Orleans Saints last year by, you know, a lot of GMs would not have sat there and said, yeah, I have two first-round picks this year. I'd love to add two impact players. But instead, I'm going to give one to the Saints, and I'll take their first-round pick next year. A lot of GMs are not patient, and they're not, and they view future assets as devalued. Mm-hmm. And Howie does not, and so they get the top ten pick, gets maybe the best player in the entire class as a result. Like those decisions are why, in my opinion, he should be receiving a ton of acclaim and a ton of praise. Um, yeah, they knocked it out of the park. I mean, Nolan Smith at 30th overall, I think would have been a fine pick at 10th overall. You get Keely Ringo later as well, the, the corner from Georgia who might play some safety. Um, yeah, I mean, they just he just knows how to maneuver and make deals um, better than anyone else right now in the NFL. Brad, last one. Do you see a team that did a nice job with undrafted free agents? I love the gauntlet and how quick these guys sign, and they know the teams and the agents, and they're on the phone like 10 minutes after the draft. Is there a team that steps out that did really good in that category? You know, a little, a little secret for you. They're on the phone before the fourth round yeah. even begins. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so you know, always tough. You don't want to overreact. Um, I haven't dove into a ton, but I do know uh, the Green Bay Packers, and now, of course, I'm blanking on his name, but oh, Brayton Cox. Brayton mm-hmm. Cox plays for Florida. He was kicked off of two teams in college, uh, so obviously you're taking a risk there. But a really, really good pass rusher uh, with a ton of talent. I think a former five-star recruit. Um, you know, if he can get his head on straight and kind of focus on football, um, you know, he could be one of those undrafted gems because he is a good, you know, outside linebacker from Florida uh, that has all the talent in the world. So that's not why he fell. Thank you, Brad. All the best. Thanks for all your time pre-draft and now wrapping up the draft. Thank you. Of course. Thank you. Brad Spielberger joining us from Pro Football Focus, the salary cap analyst as we went around the league. I'm going to go around the league with a lot. We're covering the Raiders exclusively. Tomorrow I have an exclusive interview. That'll be live streamed or they'll have it up on video. We'll do a video hit with Dave Ziegler. Dave Ziegler inside the Raiders podcast studio, radio studio. So that's tomorrow. After we have Raiders Roundtable, and I have two radio shows tomorrow, this one and Sirius XM. So Tuesdays, man, busy Tuesday, and then we'll get you ready for the Golden Knights. And I want to do some heavy, heavy Golden Knights. I'm sorry. I don't apologize. I got a Stanley Cup potential team in the city where I am. I'm talking about the Golden Knights. And we have LeBron versus Steph. That's good two weeks of content. I could just turn it on, turn on the microphone, and talk about the legacy Steph Curry now could be considered the greatest point guard of all time. He's a point guard more than a two guard. He brings the ball up. You got to say that Steph Curry is better than Isaiah Thomas. You got to say that he's better than Bob Cousy. You got to say he's the greatest shooter to ever play the point of all time. Am I missing anybody? Magic Johnson. So I would say, because it's here, it's trending today, because I think someone said it on first take. Is he the greatest point guard? No. I'd go Magic one, but maybe I'd go Steph two now. Do you know how much of a better shooter Steph Curry is than Magic Johnson? Oh, my God. 
Magic had to work on his jump shot for 12 years before he could knock him down. Steph Curry's unbelievable, and Steph Curry gets to the rim. So Magic is brilliant and a champion, but Steph is coming on strong, and LeBron is quieting everybody, man. People are just, anybody who says Jordan and, and LeBron, start looking more at LeBron. I mean, if Jordan, Jordan, not, Jordan could not play at this level, <laughs> nowhere near the level that LeBron is playing at now. It's not, don't tell me the nutrition was different. Jordan wanted to golf all day, smoke cigars, and drink. LeBron James is in the gym. I don't see him drinking a lot. I don't see him playing any golf. And he's much bigger and stronger than Jordan ever was. Can you imagine? Michael Jordan could have locked down LeBron. He could have. Michael Jordan's the best defensive guard I've ever seen. LeBron could play one, two, three, four. I mean, not center. He doesn't play center like Magic was able to do. But we're going to see these guys get it done. And what happens if Steph Curry knocks off LeBron again? LeBron knocked him off once. But what happens if Steph knocks off LeBron again? Something to think about. It's going to be a lot of fun here. Uh, we're also waiting on Rhett Lewis. He's going to join us maybe near the bottom of the hour or so. So I got another opportunity to take some phone calls from Raider fans on the draft. I'd like to hear some more fans with some analysis of what you think as a fan with this draft. Are you more excited at the start of the season? Are you optimistic, or do you have a lot of skepticism that this team is still not there yet? I don't know how many holes you could say the Raiders have. What are the Raider holes now? Seriously, I'm asking you, what are the holes on the Raiders? Right tackle, corner. They need another corner, but they got a corner in the draft. Safety isn't a hole. They got multiple safeties. Linebacker's a hole. They got one linebacker here. So linebacker's a hole. And what, right guard? Maybe they have enough guys to fill that in. Not many other holes. They have guys who are in there. I would have liked another corner high. I would have loved another corner high in the draft. And I think getting Michael Mayer changed that. And I'll ask that about Dave Ziegler. With, with Michael Mayer going number, number two for the Raiders, I think between the second and third pick, the Raiders then, I would have liked to have seen defensive tackle or corner. They went defensive tackle. So what am I going to do? I'm not going to argue with that. Their best player on the board was a defensive tackle. But the other issue became I thought they should have got another corner, just another high-ranking corner to trade up for. But they did come out with a corner, and that's really important going forward, a, a corner that's got to play as he's being developed. That's the, that's the key. Play these guys as they develop like Christopher Smith. Let's see what they can do in Amari Bernie. I can't wait to see Amari Bernie play. And not many people have called in on the quarterback. The Raiders took a quarterback. Why did they take a quarterback? Why? I'm trying to figure that out. Did they need a quarterback in the fourth round? No. I mean, I'm a Teddy Bridgewater guy or a, you know another backup quarterback in the league guy. Why did they want to develop a quarterback that wasn't as good as Hendon Hooker or a higher-graded quarterback? Because they love this kid. They think he's the perfect fit for the team. All right, who's, who can argue that? This is Dave Ziegler, Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels is a quarterback whisperer. That's what he does. And there's a guy he wanted, and they wanted him in the fourth round. I would have liked a quarterback in the sixth round. If it wasn't this guy, maybe another project who was similar. I'll ask Dave Ziegler tomorrow what made O'Connell so special that they had to pick him in the fourth round compared to waiting to the fifth Maybe sixth round to get a quarterback who would just be your perennial development backup quarterback that you put in the system. Because I don't see Aiden O'Connell as a long-term starter for the Raiders long-term behind Jimmy Garoppolo, but maybe they believe he could be that guy. The only way to know is to ask him directly. I'll do that tomorrow. 
Robert in Portland. Thanks for waiting. Robert, go ahead. You're up next. Yeah, Brick, I, I, I thought your take before the draft was the right one. At least find three for, you know, starters. I thought, I thought that was really uh, a good goal. But, you know, the draft, it may not have been as deep uh, with those kind of guys as we thought. It, I think it's as simple as that. Otherwise, when Witherspoon went down, uh, when Pete picked him, I think that, that changed everything. I think they were going to take Witherspoon because he was the one guy that would would have been a blanket, the kind of corner that he could put out on an island. But mm. he might have been the only one. There's so few of those guys around, Rick. Well, yeah, I mean, there's only a few of those guys around. I thought that the drop-off, I was surprised Christian Gonzalez dropped as far as he did. I was ready for the Raiders to take Gonzalez at seven or Witherspoon was gone at five. And then Jalen Carter, I, I thought... I personally believe the corner was more important than the edge rusher or the defensive tackle, but when they saw Tyree Wilson drop, I mean, last week you were listening, Robert. I thought teams were thinking Arizona or possibly Indy. If they didn't go quarterback, wanted Tyree Wilson. When he came to the Raiders at 7, I was good with that. Yeah. I, I was, of course, pushing for Dewan Jones as a second pick, second pick because he's a true right tackle, but then after hearing all of the grades on him, the fact that he's a little stiff. Uh, you know, I'm not broke up about the fact that they didn't take him at number two, you know, instead of mayor. It's just, I just think there wasn't that many guys that would have fit your need of three starters. And I think, uh, you know, I might be proved wrong, but it just may have been that kind of a draft. Hey, but I wanted your take on uh, what, what do you think of, uh, you know, the Knicks losing I, I, yeah. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, they, uh, Jimmy Butler was amazing. Thanks for the call. Jimmy Butler was just – when Jimmy Butler went down, this is a true story. I golfed yesterday. I had a big, big weekend, a lot of Raider work here. I, you know, the Knicks are my number one team, number one team in my life, or either the Yankees or the Knicks. Knicks probably, but the Knicks never win. So I have 20 years I've been just miserable with the Knicks. So when Jimmy Butler went down with his injuries, he rolled his ankle. That could have been the end of the series. The series. So they go to commercial, and I get a text from my buddy, who's a Nick fan, and he said, man, we, we, Jimmy Butler's not going to play the rest of the game, obviously, and he might be gone for the series. I'm like, uh, I don't root for people to get hurt. It's never been me. I never root for guys to get hurt. So they come back from commercial. Jimmy Butler's on the court playing. I'm like, how the hell did that just happen? And then they extend the lead. So Jimmy Butler went from rolling his ankle. Remember Patrick Mahomes had the high ankle sprain, and it was real. He was in pain. He was limited, but he played and played in the Super Bowl. You can't do that in the NBA. You cannot run as an NBA player with a high ankle sprain. It looked like that's what he had. So I'm interested to see if he played on adrenaline and he's not going to be able to put any pressure on it or if he's going to be able to play going down the road because I don't want injuries to anybody. But if Jimmy Butler... God hurt Bobby and was gone for multiple games. The Knicks would advance on that alone. You know, I was watching that game Sunday afternoon. Mm -hmm. After he rolled his ankle, he came back, he did two free throws, and he was on the court for the rest yeah. of the game until it was over, but he wasn't involved in the play. He was tucked over in the corner. It yeah. was a four-man game. Yeah, he wasn't that right. That kid Vincent is the guy that carried them over the top in the fourth. They did. They did. Oh, while you have your microphone on, your Boston Bruins lost, and now people are doing these lists as it's the biggest collapse of all time. I think it's the best way to describe it. If you look at the Warriors or a team, the Bulls, if you look at a 73-9 and NBA team mm -hmm. that lost in the first round, that's the level of collapse this was for the Bruins. Mm -hmm. 65 wins, 
the president, someone's going to win the president's trophy every year, but the way they won it with the most points of all time, losing to a lower seed, a wild card team, that's got to rank all time in Boston sports as one of the biggest collapse, not chokes. Because the series, was they lost in overtime in Game 7. That's not a joke. Right. But the fact that they put themselves in that position. Yeah, exactly. They did put themselves in that position. I've seen this happen before. Tampa Bay Lightning a couple of years ago. Yeah. Golden State Warriors a couple of years ago had mm-hmm. that 73 and whatever record and ended up blowing in the playoffs. They get it in their heads that they, they listen to their press clippings mm-hmm. and they think these guys are all-stars. They're just going right to no competition whatsoever, and that's how they get beat because every team in the playoffs is a decent team. I talked to a hockey insider today prepping for the show who told me, quote, Boston did not think they could lose. They literally, Mm -hmm. there were players in the locker room when the series started saying, we're good. And then Florida jumped on them, and then the pressure came, and there was a lot of bad luck, too. Boston had a lot of bad luck. In that series, oh, these guys—they they were in Boston. They're signing up for like what yeah. they're—you know—they're they're signing contracts for stuff they're going to do after the yeah, season. Yeah, you know, world, 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 right. ch- world champions, all that kind yeah, of. Yeah, and that's another thing too. Boston, the players on that team, some of the players, only a few, Pasternak and a couple of them, lost millions of dollars, millions. Oh yes. in future endorsement deals, signings, just signing Bruins jerseys with President's Trophy, Stanley Cup. Blah, blah, blah. Greatest record of all time. Stanley Cup. Oh, that all fits on a number on a jersey. Oh, yes, And it you does. add that up, and those jerseys go for $800, $900 and go in every bar in Boston, and they blew it. And, be, and one other thing you got to worry about with the Bruins, that could be the last game for Patrice Bergeron. Yeah, it should be. It should be his last game for them. Tough way to lose. And you know who's sitting back? Bruce Cassidy. They ran him out of town because they couldn't win the Cup, and the team that he delivered to Boston, his team, The Vegas Golden Knights are in the playoffs alive, and the other team is out. That's fascinating to me. We will have a Golden Knights guest on tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll be live. We'll be live right there with Dave Ziegler kicking off the show as we're brought to you by the DeCastaverde Law Group. Alex and Orlando DeCastaverde have a legacy of winning cases here in town, dating back to their dad, their tremendous staff, how they work together as a family. La Familia. If you get into an accident, you have to have their number in your phone. They will help you instantly. You'll have quality representation. 702-222-9999. Well, you know, I knew the Raiders uh, as a kid. You know, it's a great, a great organization with a lot of history, a lot of great traditions, and you know, I'm excited to be uh, at a pro, at an organization where a lot of great pass rushers have been before me. Tyree Wilson nicely said, "There's been some good pass rushers. The history of this organization: Howie Long, Greg Townsend, Max Crosby." Go back to all the great players from all the different eras that have played there and come off the edge for the Raiders. And what is the need here? Don't overthink Tyree Wilson, everybody. Don't overthink him. He's just got to get to the football. He's got long arms. You know, Brian Baldinger termed the name Condor to Max Crosby, very similar to the Condor 2 with the long arms that are going to knock down balls at the line of scrimmage. Secure the edge, which is another important part of what he can do. Secure the edge and win the battles at the edge going up against really good left tackles or playing the interior. But a guy, the first game of the year, when the Raiders take the field on defense, the first play of the season, 
I would hope that Tyree Wilson would be on one edge and Max on the other. Chandler Jones could be inside, or you can bring Chandler in on third down and leave Tyree Wilson alone and leave Max alone. But here's the key, and someone told me this in preparation for tomorrow. Max needs a break. He does. Max is playing way too many snaps. He can continue to do that. He can play every snap. He doesn't have to come off the field. If you've watched Raider games as closely as I've seen you watch him, there are times where Max needs a break because he sure, he deserves a break. If it's second and four, get him off the field. I'd love to see him rush. He's a great player, and he doesn't want to come off the field. But if he gets a break, two or three snaps a game, and Chandler gets a break on 10, and Tyree Wilson's in for all them, Tyree Wilson doesn't need a break. He should be playing every play. He was drafted number seven overall. But what's the definition? I'll ask Dave Ziegler tomorrow on these rotational players. There's a lot of players that are going to rotate in and out. All right, Rhett Lewis has been real busy. I'll be working with him tomorrow, too. I'm excited about that. He's kind enough to join us ahead of Raiders Roundtable as we recap the draft from NFL.com. Also, some work he does on SiriusXM. I'll get to that in a little bit. Rhett, thanks for joining us on a Monday to recap this. What do you think of the grades behind the draft in general, the theory behind evaluating this quickly right after the draft? You know, I, I think you just, you, you can do it, but you just got to understand that, like, you're not necessarily grading future performance. You're grading fit and value within, I should say, perceived value, right, within the draft. So it's like, oh, you know, like the Eagles, you'd say, yeah, shoot, yeah, they got an A, man. They got a, they got Nolan Smith at the 30th pick, a guy who could have gone in the top 10. You know, they got Jalen Carter at 10, a guy who could have gone one. So, like, that turns into an A. Uh, just for today, and then, you know, three years down the road, maybe we'll change that thing up a little bit once those dudes have some uh, games under their belt. Well, I think there should be a 30-for-30 30 30 on the trade that Houston made from 12-3. to 3. I'm serious. That will, <laughs> that will not, you're, a young, you're a young guy. That has never happened, and you will not see it again. Now, look, trading from 12-3 no. to 3 wasn't, wasn't so crazy, but having two already and taking the quarterback <laughs> and going 12 to three. When that happened, I was in the Raiders facility. You could feel the buzz of everything that just happened around the whole league and in every war room. Take me through what you thought in real time when you saw that deal go down. <clears throat> I was like, dang, um, you know, the Houston Texans are, they are all in on finding their franchise cornerstones on both sides of the ball. And that's what I thought they would do at 2-12. and 12. I was like, all right, you know, they'll get C.J. Stroud at 2, uh, which is what I mocked them to do. And then, you know, back at 12, because I wasn't forecasting any trades, I was like, all right, you know, maybe they find a Lucas Van Ness, right, from Iowa. Well, it turns out they got the best dang defender in this draft in Will Anderson, uh, who also, by the way, probably has the highest floor of any guy in this draft and a pretty dang high ceiling, too. So, uh, you look, here's, here's my guess is how this happened is, you know, D'Amico Ryan's, you know, comes in obviously from San Francisco where he, you know, led the best defense in football last couple of years and they had Nick Bosa and you know what that does for a defense. And then obviously some really good pieces in addition to him. I don't think Will Anderson is Bosa yet. Um, and maybe he doesn't, you know, ever quite get there, but man, 90% of that would be pretty dang good. And so I feel like in order for him to run the defense he wants, he needs that dude he can count on. That can be his vessel on the field. And I think that's Will Anderson. And then obviously C.J. Stroud speaks for itself. Best pure passer in his draft. They go out and get the best pass rusher and the best passer. I mean, that's winning the draft right there, man. Uh, Rhett Lewis, kind enough to join us. Thanks to SiriusXM College Sports Radio, Big Ten Radio, NFL Network. 
uh, Rhett can be heard on Sirius XM College Sports Radio Channel 84 and on Sirius XM Big Ten Radio Channel 372. Now, one more thing on that. The people that I've talked yeah. about since before we had you on, that to me is no – I think that's going to be something that happens more going forward because I get the, the GMs are younger. So they're just younger. They don't – they're going to come in in their 30s and 40s and be GMs, and they're not going to want to wait two years, and they're just going to trade up and go bonkers. But what they lose on the back end, how buried are they in the draft going down the next couple of years here? It feels like it's an all-in, really intense move that if it doesn't work, yeah. it could hurt your draft in years to come. Well, here's the thing. Here's what they're looking at, and this is what I've been looking at. They had six starting caliber players, six starters with their first six picks last year, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, think about that haul that they had. It was incredible. And some really, really good players there. One of them we haven't even seen yet, who I think is going to be really good, and John Mechie, um, you know, who had uh, dealt with, uh, with cancer and now mm-hmm. is, is on his way back. Christian Harris, you know, you line him up with Henry To'o To'o, who they got in day three this year. Like, they've got some real depth pieces in addition to the high-level draft capital they spent. Sure, you gave up a future one. Um, you know, that's the cost of doing business. You go up nine picks, you know, you're going to have to do that in the first round. That's obviously what the Carolina Panthers had to do. And, and so it was very similar in what the Houston's did also moving up those nine spots. So um, I think you're understanding that, look, th- this draft had probably less than 15 players with first-round grades. Like, that's, you know – so we went and got one, right? We only got two, I should say. Mm-hmm. And so whatever we had to do to go get it, fine, because we don't know what the draft's going to look like next year. So um, they got two marquee players at marquee positions in this league, premier, primo talents at the most premier positions. Like, that's what you trade for. That's what you, what you trade future picks for, to get those kind of players. Rhett Lewis is our guest. There's no doubt in my mind that the Seahawks probably wanted Jalen Carter more than – Devin Weatherspoon, and I think the Raiders probably thought it was a much bigger need than Tyree Wilson, and he dropped mm-hmm. past him to number nine. Is it fair to say that those war rooms, owners, let alone GMs and coaches, said he's a great player, but there is there's a couple of shady things happening recently here, sure. and we're not hearing great reports on him. And then Howie Roseman obviously was dreaming of a player like that and really had no choice at nine. Walk me through what happened with Jalen Carter. Yeah, so I, I, I look, I think every team up there in the top 10, and as you know, he didn't take any visits to any teams out of the top 10. They were doing as much of their quote-unquote homework as they could trying to see if they could get comfortable with who this guy was on the field. On the field, it's, it's fairly easy. Off the field, and then like, you know, in what it takes to prepare to be on the field, right? It's not just some of the stuff that we saw, you know, with the, with the legal um, issues, but I mean, like, you know, the showing up a little bit out of shape to your pro day and I get it. There was a lot of stuff going on in his life at that time. So I think you can, you can probably excuse some of that away, but you know, when you start to hear some of those rumblings, even before then you're like, okay, you put all this together and there's some concern here. And so if I'm a team drafting in the top 10, I can't miss. Right. Unless I'm the Eagles, who by the way, have another pick coming up, you know, in, in at 30, and we're in the NFC Championship. So this was a, a major luxury for them. But look at the Falcons and the Raiders and, the, and, you know, the Seahawks had another pick. So I'm sure they felt pretty good about what they were doing. Um, but, I mean, like, yeah, you, you have to hit a double with these first-round picks. Mm-hmm. You have to get into scoring position. You cannot strike out uh, or you've lost a major opportunity. So my guess is Seahawks viewed Devin Witherspoon as 
you know, maybe not the upside and the ceiling that Carter had, but a, but a higher floor in terms of we know what this guy is off the field. Same thing with Tyree Wilson, probably felt the same way for the Raiders. So, look, it's just a matter of if they didn't feel quite comfortable taking using that kind of capital on that player. And I, I totally understand it. What do you think Jared Goff's thinking with Hendon Hooker behind him? Because I think Hooker's going to play. And I think that Goff is the face of not, – he's not so much a face of a franchise-type quarterback, such as Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. But I thought he had a really good year. And then when Hooker fell, I can understand why they did that. But that's got to be a pain for him knowing that if he doesn't play well or they don't get off to a good start, a lot of fans there are going to want to see Hooker play. I think there's a lot of other teams that wish they got Hooker where he dropped that far down even more so than Levis. Tell me about that individual yeah. player in the fit there in Detroit. So I love Hendon Hooker. Like, I love Hendon Hooker. Had the knee been right and everything uh, on equal footing with the rest of the dudes, he'd have probably ended up my third guy in this in this class. And wow. I think for some people, he still ended up their third guy. So um, I just think he's got phenomenal decision-making. I think he's got terrific toughness. I think some people talk about the age as a negative. I see it as a positive. This is a mature player ready to be a face of the franchise, as you were talking about, JT. And so, um, you know, quick, quick interlude on that. Um, You know, like, so I I was with him at the Manning Passing Academy this summer. Um, He was practicing with his team in Knoxville before flying out. And uh, that morning he was running through some sort of like, you know, seven on seven, just kind of running through some stuff. They had a a player, a receiver, freshman receiver was coming in motion. He got too close to Hendon, and they collided, right? His, they collided so much that Hendon had a bone bruise on his shoulder and had to have dental a dental procedure done because he was so messed up from the collision. He still got on the plane and came to Manning Passing Academy in 100-degree heat and 100% humidity, could barely eat and could barely drink water, and it was that important for the dude to come out there and sweat it out and coach kids up and honor his commitment um, and obviously it's a little different when, you know, uh, one of the owners of the camp went to your, went to your, um, your, your university. But um, I just thought that there was a lot of reason for him to say no to that, that opportunity, but he, he stayed with it. So I think that's the kind of guy he is. I think you're getting a winner. I think you're getting a guy that wants to work. And, uh, and I think the Lions got a really good one. But look, for golf, he's used to this, man. Like we've been talking about this ever since he got to Detroit. Like even last year we were talking about, are they going to be one of the ones to take Kenny Pickett and stash him until he's ready and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So like, I, I think golf, man, it's, this is like been there, done that for him. He just goes out, go out and play, keep him on the sidelines for as long as you can. Rhett Lewis. Rhett, just a few more and I'll let you go here. Yep. One draft that I thought went really good was Cincinnati. I really like Miles Murphy, the edge out of Clemson. DJ yep. Turner, a quarterback from Michigan who's ready to play. And then Jordan Battle, who they got out of Alabama. I thought those first three picks that they had overall, and it was 28-60 and 95 before 100, with Joe Burrow and what they've done the last couple of years, I like what the Bengals did. Yeah, I think uh, that's, that's really fair. I think their best pick uh, came in the fifth round at number 163 when they took Chase Brown, the running back, out of Illinois. Um, mm-hmm. I think this dude is an absolute baller, JT. Like, he is a stud. I watched him in person a couple of times covering the Big Ten. Um, I don't want to see that dude. Like, he's got the explosiveness, like, to get, like, inside a phone booth. Phone booth. He's got, like, this, like, wiggle and explosiveness. Like, he just he runs with such, like, a vigor and, like, a violence, almost the type of stuff that reminded me a little bit of Isaiah Pacheco a year ago with the uh, Kansas City Chiefs and that, that seventh-round pick. So, I think Chase has got a real future in this league. I, I think you might see him start some games next year. 
And then they went and got Charlie Jones, another absolute stud in the fourth round. I thought they just nailed it on day three, in addition to what they did on day two. And then Miles Murphy, you know, he didn't have the type of production um, that I think, you know, you would expect from a player uh, like that. But, man, he still – he finds ways to impact games. And I think that's what you're buying – that's what you're betting on. He gives you a little more juice, I think, than maybe Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard do. So a little bit different than what they already have. Yeah, one more team out west where I am. Jake Moody, the kicker, goes to the Niners early at yeah. pick number 36, uh, third round. Yeah, it was the 99th. But what were the Niners doing? It seemed like it almost feels like they're done. They're good. They got their team. They know how good they are. They're going to go with Purdy, which to me, he could regress coming off the injury or not. But all their eggs are in with him. And they didn't seem to do a lot of crazy stuff in free agency in the draft. Assess the 49ers yeah. for me. Yeah, so like looking at what uh, San Francisco did, um, it does feel like you know they have a pretty good base, right? And this yeah. this is a mm-hmm. hierarchy that has been in place now for what seven years with with Kyle and with John Lynch. Um, you know they're ready to make another run, and they've got the pieces. They've got the pieces at marquee positions. They've got arguably the best edge rusher in football. They got the best left tackle in football. Uh, their their secondary has been getting better uh, over the last couple of years. And I think it got even better with the pick number 87, their third round selection. Jair Brown's just an absolute stud of a football player. I don't care what the 40 times says. He gets it done. Um, and then, look, uh, Robbie Gold, you know, wasn't going to kick forever. So Jake Moody comes in, who, by the way, was the MVP of the East-West Shrine Bowl and accounted for every single point for his team in that game. Now I can tell you how anemic the uh, scoring was otherwise, but Jake, right. Jake kicked four field goals in that game and he won MVP. He's, he is, he was the best kicker in the draft and totally worthy of a third round pick, I think. Um, you know, and then look, yeah, you're looking for depth. You're looking for special teams, especially when you're not, you know, a first or second round pick, you don't even have a high third round pick. You know, you're picking a 24 in the third round. You know, it's like, you're getting, you're getting deep in there. And so, they, they did the best they could with the resources they had, but I, I do feel like the Hayes kind of in the barn, so to speak, for, for what this roster kind of was and will be moving forward. Red, great job. Really impressed with the work you did leading up, all the other work you do too, but especially with the draft and coming on with us. Really appreciate it. Have a great time. I hope to see you soon. Anything for you guys. Thanks, JT. You got it, Rhett. Rhett Lewis, really good job. I, want, I don't want to say up-and-comer because when you get and hired by NFL Network, you're there. You're near the top of the list as an analyst, and he's done a lot with the Raiders. We're supposed to do something tomorrow. I don't know if he's going to be on Zoom or he's going to be in studio with us tomorrow for Raiders Roundtable. You know how much I love a great steakhouse. I talk about it all the time. But I want you to get the deal that I have, the ability to buy meat wholesale that the great steakhouses get delivered to them. That's why at meetupvegas.com, I got the meat hookup. This is the cut meat in Las Vegas that gets delivered to you personally. It doesn't sit out in front of your house and wait for you to come home. Go to meetupvegas.com, put in code word JTBRICK, and get the meat hookup. It's that good of a deal. I'm telling you, when summer comes, I have, my wife looks at me and goes, Get going out of the garage. We got a fridge in the garage. She's like, start getting it done. And I remind her, kids are home from college. They know how to grill. Matter of fact, two weeks, two weeks, I'll be in Oklahoma for my son's college graduation. What a great legacy moment for my father, who's 84, will be 85, born on the same day as my son, and he'll get to see my son walk across the stage and get his diploma in Oklahoma. That's my highlight for the month of May. 
I would say, yeah, there's some Chandler Jones in there um, as far as a size length, um, you know, body stature. But, you know, Chandler Jones is an extremely productive <laughs> NFL player who's had an awesome career. So, you know, we won't even try to do, you know, Tyree a disservice of making those types of comparisons just yet. We're just hoping to get him in here soon enough to get him in a uniform. Champ Kelly working alongside Dave Ziegler on Tyree Wilson. JT, back with you as we wrap it up. Good day today. Good show. Really good guests. Excellent phone calls from the Raiders recapping the draft. Mitch in Jersey. Let me get you up here quickly, Mitch. Go ahead. How's it going, JT? Good show. Uh, I agree with that. that uh, Curry, he's amazing. He's one of the best. Top three in any department. And uh, Thompson would even have a good shooting game. I like the draft. Drafted three different linemen, and I like that quarterback. And one more thing, I believe uh, nobody signed Dominic Sue. Is he signing? Because he's out there to be signed. Yeah, appreciate the call. I don't have an update on Dominic and Sue. I will tell you, the quarterback uh, for me is unique. That's one of the things I'll go over with Dave Ziegler tomorrow. Quick reminder, Mother's Day, right around the corner. Michael E. Minden, my personal diamond jeweler. Does a lot of business here in town. Any purchase, any purchase at Michael E. Minden Diamond Jewelers in the Fashion Show Mall, you'll get two tickets to a comedy show. I talked to Michael today. He's got multiple comedy shows in town, so he'll let you select those tickets there. And how about a Mother's Day gift for mom or your wife or upgrading your wife's ring? Maybe you want to upgrade the diamond in the diamond ring. Go out and do that. He'll have the best staff in town. They'll take care of the largest selection of fine jewelry and the best selection in town. Check out what they do for the upgrade with diamonds, natural and lab-grown. Right there in the Fashion Show Mall, go upstairs, right next to Macy's. You'll love the staff at Michael E. Minden, my personal diamond jeweler, and I talked to him today. He was driving to L.A., and we talked about a few things. He's a big Raider fan, wanted to pick my brain with the draft. We spent about 20 minutes talking about that. And then Mother's Day, because he knows how important my mom is to me, and I'll see my mom in a couple of weeks, and I don't get a chance to see my mom enough, so I'm going to Michael E. Minden to make sure I hook her up with something that makes sense. How about Mother's Day? Take care of your mom, will you? Michael E. Minden Diamond Jewelers, right there in the Fashion Show Mall next to Macy's. What a long day. I got a new podcast that I'm doing with Tom Looney. JT and Looney, wherever you download your podcast. That's going to be from 2.30 to 3. I'm on Sirius XM from 6 to 9 p.m. tonight. So busy day today, but I love talking sports, and I love talking Game 7s, and I love talking Golden Knights. And tomorrow, right at noon, 12.05, Dave Ziegler, live from Raiders facility. That'll be a big deal for us tomorrow. Have a great day. Q's ready to go.